Good morning, kids. You guys blessed me this morning. Excuse me, I need to make sure. There we go. You guys blessed me this morning as I saw you worshiping the Lord with the flags. Now, remember I said last week that we are doing something different for the next few weeks. So what I need for you guys to do, I need you guys to stay on the bench or on the floor, but don't come forward, okay? Because these things are very breakable and all of those cups are filled with grape juice. And we don't want any of them falling down and hitting the floor. So, let me talk to you about what's going on up here. Every year at Christmas time, the four Sundays before Christmas, we have what's called Advent. Can you say that word? Advent. Advent. Say it again. Advent. Advent means coming. And so we're thinking about the fact that Jesus comes. And, you know, we already know that Jesus came as a baby in a stable. Remember that story? He was born in a stable. And we know that Jesus lived on the earth already. And we know that he died on a cross. And we know that he rose back to life again. And we know that he went up to the heaven to be with our father in heaven. But one of the things that we're still waiting for is the time when Jesus will come back. And he will call all of us to come to be with him in heaven. And that's what we're hoping for. That's what we're waiting for right now. So that's our Advent. But we celebrate the coming of Jesus as a baby during the Advent season. And so each of these four stations represent a story out of the Bible. Now, which one do you think is the one that rep- that's for today? This one says... What does this one say? Can you read it? Joy. Joy. What does this one say? Love. Love. What does this one say? What does this one say? Is it backwards? What does it say? Peace. So joy, love, hope, or peace. Which one? Which of these four stations do you think is for today? Joy. Joy. Look at the screen. Hope. Hope. It's this one. Now, what do you guys see on this one? Can you see it? If you promise to be very still, stand up and come forward, but don't touch anything up here, okay? And you can see these two things. I'll pick one. I can't pick it up because, but what is this one? Do you see it? What is it made out of? And what is this one made out of? Makes, looks like, it's like ceramic. And this one is what color? And what color is this one? There are two people in the Bible that these candles represent. This represents Mary, the mother of Jesus. And this represents Joseph, the father, the stepfather of Jesus. Now, the story goes like this. Let me, no, 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 go away, go away. I know what I'm doing. God, these people. I know what I'm doing. That's exactly right. Okay. You can move it back later. In the book of Luke, there is a story and I want to read it to you. It is so cool. Now, one of the things that happens at Advent is we always, we always, always light the candles. So the first story that we're going to talk about 
is Mary's story. Come on, light the candle. So we're lighting Mary's candle. And here's her story. In those days, okay, guys, I need you to sit down now. Go ahead and sit down. You can sit on the bench if you want. In those days, Mary woke up and went. Oh, I'm reading the wrong paragraph. I'm sorry. In the sixth month of the year, Mary was visited by someone special. Do you know who that someone special might have been? Not God. God sent a messenger. What's a messenger? Do you know? It's an angel. God sent an angel from heaven to meet with Mary. And that angel's name was, do you know? The angel's name was Gabriel. And do you know what the angel said to Mary? This is what Gabriel said to Mary. Greetings. You are favored. God loves you and God is with you. And Mary was very concerned and scared because there was an angel standing there. And he said, the angel said to her, Mary, don't be afraid. God has chosen you. You will be the mother of God's son. And you will call his name Jesus. And he will be called the son of the most high God. And God will give to Jesus the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob and his kingdom. And there will be no end. And Mary said to Gabriel, how can this be? I'm not married. I've never been with a man. And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the most high God will overshadow you. And you will be. And therefore the child will be born, will be called holy the son of God. And Mary said to the angel Gabriel, Gabriel, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me as you have said. And the angel departed from her. Now, I'm not going to pick up Gabriel and move him back because there's another story. Because, see, Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. She wasn't married to him yet when this happened. But this is what happened with Joseph when he found out that Mary was going to have a baby and it wasn't his baby. It was God's baby. And this is what Joseph, what the story of Joseph. It said Mary had been engaged to Joseph and before they came together, she was found to be with a child by the Holy Spirit. And her fiance, Joseph, was a very just man and he didn't want to hurt Mary. And he didn't want to make her be shamed in front of all the people. So he decided to just break their engagement quietly. And as he was thinking about all of these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. This is Gabriel appearing to Joseph while Joseph is sleeping. When Mary met with Joseph, I mean, met with Gabriel, Mary was awake with Joseph he was asleep and the Gabriel met him in his dream. And it said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife because the baby that is in her 
is from God. She will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And then Joseph woke up from his sleep. He did just what the angel of the Lord commanded him to. He took Mary as his wife and they stayed together until the baby was born. And when the baby was born, they named him Jesus. But you know what's really cool? In the story of Mary, there's one part that I didn't read because I wanted to wait until the very end. And that's this part right here. In, in the book of Luke, chapter 1, verse 37. And it's on the screen for those of you who can read. It says, nothing is impossible with God. Because see, Mary was like, how can I have a baby? I'm not married. And and the angel Gabriel said, God has chosen that you will have a baby and God is going to do a miracle, a miracle and make you have a baby without ever having been married to anybody or ever having a a man in your life. And so Mary said, let it happen if that's what God's will is. And then Joseph was like, oh, oh, I'm not sure what to do with this. And Gabriel came and said, Joseph, it's okay. This is all about God's plan. You, you, God needs you to protect Mary and the baby Jesus. And so Joseph said, okay. And so these two people, Joseph and Mary, did what God wanted them to do. And it took an angel to tell them that God was able to do anything. And there's a song I want to sing to you and then help you guys sing with me. It's called, Ah, Lord God. Have you guys ever heard that song before? Let me sing it to you real quick. And then once you hear me sing it, then we'll bring up a video and you can join me. Okay. This is the song. Ah, Lord God, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power. Ah, Lord God, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thine outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for thee. Nothing is too difficult for thee. Great and mighty God. Oh, I forgot. Great and mighty God. Great in counsel and mighty indeed. Nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing. Nothing is too difficult for thee. Ready to sing it? Mr. Craig, can you bring the screen, the, the thing up and turn up the volume, please? Lord God, sing with me. The heavens and the earth by thy great power. Ah, Lord God, Thou hast made the heavens and the earth by Thine outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for Thee. Nothing is too difficult for Thee. Great and mighty God, great in counsel and mighty indeed. Nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing. Nothing is too difficult for thee. Let's do it one more time and clap with me. Ah, Lord God, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power. Ah, Lord God, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thine outstretched arm. Ready? Nothing is too difficult for thee. Nothing is too difficult for thee. Great and mighty God. Great in counsel and mighty indeed. Nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing. Nothing is too difficult for thee. Craig, go ahead and turn that off, please. 
Because it goes on and on and on and on. Let me pray with you guys. Jesus, I ask that you bless these kids. Help them, Lord, to understand and learn that there's absolutely nothing that is too difficult for you. And that you, when you say something's going to happen, you can make it happen, whether it makes sense to us or not. Bless them, Father. Be with them now as they go down into their play play practice. Help them and Miss Tammy and all the leaders to help them to prepare a wonderful, wonderful play for Christmas. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you guys can go on down with Miss Tammy. Thank you so much. Well, ladies and gentlemen, how many of you guys um, watch TV? Most? Some? A lot of shows that have uh, continuing storylines, the writers of the show at times will do a short 30-second, 45-second opening that does that, that usually starts with previously on whatever TV show it was. And then they show you 30 to 40 seconds of previous scenes so that you can catch up or be reminded of what happened in the story. Well, I want to do that for us today as we start today's lesson. And I, I intentionally use the word lesson when I, when I chose that. As I, as I was writing this sermon, um, I almost used the word sermon and I was like, you know, this is more a teaching than it is a preaching. And so this, for me, this is a, a teaching, a, a lesson more than it is me preaching or prof- being prophetic. So last week, when we got together, we studied, uh, we, we, we listened to, you listened to me preach about a sermon that I titled The Unbroken Chain. And in that study, we looked at the connection between the death of King Saul and the reign of King Jesus. And we talked about a covenant of salt. Do you remember that? And that covenant of salt was incorruptible, inviolable, perpetual, durable. It was a covenant between God and King David that the, the, the descendants of King David would be over the people of God forever. Craig, bring up that second Chronicles slide. Second Chronicles 13.5 says, The Lord God of Israel gave the kingship over Israel forever to David and his sons by a covenant of salt. We talked about this last week. Well, when we looked at the story of King Josiah, which was the next part of that sermon, Josiah was a descendant of King David. Oh, man, Renee, in that bag is a key to my office, or you have a key downstairs. On my desk is a stack of papers that was supposed to be brought up, and I forgot to grab them before I got here this morning. Yeah? Yeah, come over here and you'll see them. You'll see what I'm talking about. Looks just like that. Sorry. It's, a, it's helpful if you have your hand out. Um, anyway, when we talked about King Josiah, he was one of the descendants of David. And if you look at the line of David, David's family tree, which you'll have in a few minutes in front of you, you'll see that Josiah was one of the last kings in Israel before the Babylonian exile. And we talked about the fact that Josiah had never, ever been exposed to the scriptures. But at some point early in his or midway in his in his time as king, the book of the law was found in the temple. 
And when it was read to Josiah, it says that he was cut to the heart. He literally tore his clothes. And then Josiah had a change of heart. Not only did he have a change of heart, but he had a change of administration. He demanded that everyone, including all of his court, all of the priests and all of the people would gather. And the king himself read the book of law to the people. And then he walked, he literally went on a campaign leading the people, purging the whole land of all the, the uh, high places where they worship, worshiped false idols. Um, he was the last of the kings of David's line to live according to the way that God wanted. There were other kings, two, three or four, four other kings who followed Josiah um, that we saw the, the dynasty wane and then finally the Babylonian uh, exile happened. And it appeared at that point that the dynasty dissolved. Now, God upheld God's side of the covenant of salt by raising Jesus to be a forever king over the people of God. But they couldn't see it from their perspective. The people of God couldn't see it. So at a moment, Renee's going to hand out your, 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 time, your timelines. Uh, because you don't have them in front of you, let's bring up that next slide and you'll at least see the tail end of the timeline of the, of the family, family tree. Manasseh was one of the kings that descended from David. Then he had a son named Ammon. Then he had a son named Josiah. Josiah is the one that we just talked about. Josiah had three sons. Jehoiakim, Jehoahaz, Zedekiah. And you'll see names underneath those names. Jehoiakim is also known as Eliakim. Jehoahaz is also known as Shalom. Zedekiah is also known as Mataniah. Then Eliakim or Jehoiakim had a son named Jeconiah. He was also known as Coniah. He was also known as Jehoiachin, which is just crazy. But that's, it is how it is. Greg, go ahead and bring up the next slide. So if you, if you turn, you don't have to turn because I got a lot of places, but you can just take notes or whatever. But in 2 Kings chapter 23 verses 28 to 30, we hear the story of the death of Josiah. After all of the reforms that he did, after all the great things that he did, Josiah dies. And Jehoahaz, his son, and he's the, the one in the middle, okay? There's Jehoiada, Jehoahaz, and Zechariah. Just pass them out to everybody, yeah. And so Jehoahaz becomes the king. Bring up the next slide, Craig. So in 2 Kings... 23 verses 31 through 32. Now, if you go back, go back a slide. See that the Jehoahaz, the Josiah's death and the Jehoahaz coming to king is 28 verses 28 through 30. Next slide, Craig. Then it's verses 31 through 32. So this, this chapter just literally goes this king, then this king, then this king. And it's just a couple chapters. I mean, a couple verses. But in this particular section, we're told that Jehoahaz, who is the middle guy under Jehoaz, Josiah, also known as Shalom, was 23 year old when he's, he began to reign, but he only reigned for three months. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that the fathers had done. And after those three months were over with, Jehoahaz, also known as Shalom, bring up the next slide, was replaced by Jehoiakim, also known as Eliakim. That's the one on the left. 
Eliakim was 25 years old when his brother began to reign. Now, we read just a second ago that Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he began to reign, and he only reigned three months. So that means Jehoiakim was actually older than Jehoahaz, but for whatever reason, it was decided that Jehoahaz would be king. He failed, so Jehoiakim becomes king. He reigned 11 years. But he also did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Bring up the next slide, Craig. So when, when Jehoiakim is no longer king, his, his son, okay, you see Jeconiah, Kaniah, Jehoiachin, he takes over. He's 18 years old and he only reigns for three months. And he was doing evil, and he got replaced. Now, he was actually replaced by a foreign power. It was the king of Babylon who didn't like him, and so he said, you're out of here, and bringing in your uncle. And so the uncle was um, Zedekiah, also known as Mataniah. That's the guy on the right. And the king of Babylon made him king in the place of Jehoiachin. And the king of Babylon changed Mataniah's name to Zedekiah. He was 21 years old when he became king. He reigned for 11 years. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that Jehoiakim had done. For because of the anger of the Lord, it became to the point in Jerusalem and Judah that God cast them all out from his presence And Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. And the end result was there was a huge battle. Babylonian army comes and they they literally building siege ramps up against the walls of Jerusalem. The army is fighting for a period of time. The Babylonian army has to pull back because Egypt is raising up and causing trouble. So the Babylonians go to fight off the Egyptians. And then finally they come back. They, They totally decimate Jerusalem. They burn everything. They destroy everything. They carry off all of the valuables out of the temple. And the king in his, in his court are all taken out. All the people are taken out. And the place is left desolate and a wasteland. Bring up the next slide, Craig. So now, as crazy as it sounds, in looking at this story of hope, And looking at David's line being dissolved by political issues, we now see a prophet come forward. This prophet has a lot to say, but if you go to chapter 32 of his prophecy, I'm going to take you through 32 and 33 for the remainder of the service. Jeremiah chapter 32 verses 1 through 3 says this. In the 10th year of Zedekiah's reign. Now remember, Zedekiah was the last king. He was the one whose, his name was actually Mataniah, and the king of Babylon changed his name to Zedekiah. Okay? In the 10th year of Zedekiah's reign. Now let's go back once, don't go back a slide, but let me just reiterate. Zedekiah reigned for 11 years. Okay? So, 
Jeremiah, in the 10th year of the last king's reign, God's word comes to Jeremiah. At the time that Jeremiah receives this word, Jeremiah is locked up in prison. The reason he's locked up in prison is because he had prophesied against King Zedekiah and Zedekiah was furious. And he had him locked up. And if you read it, we're not going to take the time to read it now, but if you read Jeremiah 32, verses 3 through 5, you hear Zedekiah going, Who do you think you are? He just lists all the things that he prophesied against him. And so he had him locked up. Now, if you go to verses 6 through 15 of chapter 32, and again, we're not going to take time to read it this morning, God directs Jeremiah to purchase a piece of property. Now think about this. This is the last year that Israel is going to exist as a nation. This is the last year that the government will be in place. Afterwards, the place is going to be a wasteland. There are going to be other people moved in, but no more Jewish stuff, no more Israel, no more worship of the king, of the God in the temple, all of it gone in one year. But God directs Jeremiah by word of prophecy to buy a piece of property. Now, what is the deal about this piece of property? Well, let me explain to you. In the nation of Israel, and we've talked about this before, they are what are known as a people of the land. Okay, When Moses was ending his time as leader over the people of Israel and jo- Joshua was getting ready to take over as leader, Moses met with all of the leadership of, Jeru- of, of the Jews and he said, when Joshua takes you into the land to take the land that God has promised to you, he will then divide it up based on your tribes. Those of you who have smaller tribes will get smaller portions of land. Those of you who have larger tribes will have larger portions of land. And there was a lot of discussion over the land and how it needs to be handled. And there was even instructions that in the event that you had to sell your land, it would always revert back to the original family of ownership in the 50th year. Why? Because the land and the people were tied together. It was very, very, very important. There was also, if you remember in the story of Ruth and Naomi, when Naomi's husband dies and then her two sons die and Ruth, Ruth's, uh, Ruth is the daughter-in-law of Naomi and they go back to Bethlehem and Naomi says, we have a kinsman redeemer. He will take responsibility for us. Do you remember that story? Boaz buys the land that had been Naomi's husband's land. And then he then is now responsible. The only reason Boaz was allowed to legally buy that land was because he was a blood relative of Naomi's husband. He was a kinsman. He was therefore allowed to make this transaction. Now let's go back to this Jeremiah chapter 32. Jeremiah gets approached, I believe the guy's name is Baruch. Baruch is a cousin or a brother or a nephew or somebody. It depends on what translation you're reading. But the bottom line is this guy comes to Jeremiah who's in prison and says, I need money 
you've got money, buy this land from me. Well, Jeremiah had already been told by God, this is going to happen. And when it happens, buy the land. So they went through the legal transaction. They literally had two copies of the deed of sale drawn up. They had it witnessed and notarized in the appropriate fashion. And they took one copy of the deed and sealed it in a jar and buried it. Then they had the other one for the daily use. So in other words, in our vernacular, they kept one certified copy for day-to-day use and they put the other one in the safety deposit box at the bank. Or they put it in a fireproof safe in their home. Or they did something to make sure that that piece of paper would be available in the future. Why would Jeremiah, why would God want any of this to happen? The place is about to be destroyed. All of these contracts mean nothing in less than a year and a half. So why in the world would God do this? Well, if you continue reading, Jeremiah prays to God and says, I don't understand. Why are you having me do this? And then God answers him and explains, I have made a very specific promise to David that there will always be one of his line as king over my people. And I've also made a very specific promise to my people that you will always have the land. So although it looks dire and dark right now, although it doesn't make sense right now, trust me, the time is coming when you're going to want that deed because you'll be able to prove that you're the owner of that property because you'll know where the jar was buried. So when it's all said and done, you'll be able to come back to your land that you own because you legally bought it before the world collapsed around you. And Jeremiah's like, wow. And in a response to that, turn to the next slide, Craig. Jeremiah 32, 16 through 25. This was his response. Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Recognize those words? Didn't we just sing that a few minutes ago with the kids? That's where this song comes from. The story of God's faithfulness and God's promise that you can depend when God says something, you know you've got it. Even when it doesn't make sense. Even when things look dark. Even when things look hopeless. You have hope. You don't have to understand it. You don't have to have all of the things laid out. I hated it. When I was a kid, we'd get in the car and my mom and dad would say, oh, guys, we're going someplace special. Where are we going? None of your business. No, where are we going? None of your business, but you're going to like it when we get there. That's not fair. I want to know where we're going. I said, settle down. But we're... Say another word and we're turning right around home. Okay. And then we get to Disneyland. (laughs) Okay. 
you have to learn to trust that mom and dad are not going to harm you, but do good for you. You have to learn to trust that they, when they say something is good, it's going to be good. And they are just literally living out or demonstrating for us what God is already to us. A good father who knows what we need and who makes specific promises to us. And even if they don't look like they're coming to fruition, if he said it, you can bank on it. Look at how the Lord answered Jeremiah's prayer for understanding. Turn to the slide, Craig, 327. Behold, you got it up already. I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Look at the other one. 332.44. Fields shall be bought for money. And deeds shall be signed and sealed and witnessed. For I will restore their fortunes, declares the Lord. These were the words spoken to Jeremiah in response to his request for understanding. Number one, is anything too difficult for me? Is anything too hard for me? And number two, fields that have been bought and deeds signed and sealed and witnessed will be restored, declares the Lord. Now, Jeremiah remains in jail because remember, the king Zedekiah has still got another year. And Zedekiah ain't letting Jeremiah out of jail because he hates him. And God gives another word to Jeremiah while he's in jail. Now, the thing that we can understand when we read this passage in Jeremiah 33, go ahead, bring, bring that passage up, 33, 1 through 13. In this place of which you say, it is a waste without man or beast. I will restore the fortunes of the land as at first, says the Lord. This whole passage, this whole section, is that's, that's the synopsis of it. What we can understand when God is talking to Jeremiah, he says, you people keep saying this place is a place of waste without any man or beast. I mean, the place is just decimated. So what's happening is the, the Babylonians have already done the battle when this message comes. But he's still in prison, so it hasn't completely finished. But the people are already saying, everything's ruined, everything's ruined. We've lost everything, everything's ruined. They're literally in the last days, if you will, of, of Israel. And, 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 and God says, I promise you there will be a restoration. I promise you. Turn to, bring the next slide up, Craig. Verses 14 through 26 of chapter 33. The two reminders that God does. He never reminds the people of the covenant of salt. And what was that? David will always have someone on the throne forever. Those were the words of God in that covenant of salt. And the other one was, God promises a righteous branch will spring up from the root of Jesse. Think about that. Imagine, if you will, Jesse, the line of David, because Jesse was David's father. 
the line of David cut off at the roots. It's a stump in the ground. Anybody walking by would see that it's over with and done. It's gone. It has been cut and chopped up and burned in a pile. There's nothing left but a stump as a testimony of the end of the dynasty. But God is faithful according to the word spoken to by God to the prophet Jeremiah. A righteous branch will spring up from the root of Jesse. Bring up the next slide, Craig. Jeremiah 33, 15, in those days, and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And look at that, look at that graphic. God can bring life out of what appears to be death. God can resurrect a dead dynasty. What is the significance of this righteous branch? Well, think about this. The people of the land have been given specific promises that they will have a restoration of their fortunes. The people of the land have been given specific promises that there will be a perpetual reign of King David's line forever. The siege of Jerusalem, the downfall of Jerusalem took place in the year 536 B.C. When was Jesus born? Scholars will tell you around 4 B.C. So what does that mean? For 532 years, the people of God held on to a hope of a restoration that looked hopeless. God had made a covenant of salt with David. It was incorruptible. It was inviolable. It was perpetual. It was durable. God had made the covenant and God is faithful and true to God's word. And yes, it may have taken over 500 years. But God brought about the fulfillment of the covenant of salt with King David. And we read it to the children this morning. Bring up the next slide, Craig. Luke chapter 1, verses 31 through 33. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. It took 532 years for the promised Messiah, the restoration of the kingly line of David. But God did it. And then you heard me read to the kids in first chapter one, verses 34 through 38. Mary said to the angel, how I'm a virgin. And the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the most high will overshadow you. 
The child to be born will be called holy. The child will be called the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who had been called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, the thing you need to hear, God can make all the promises God wants and God can can offer all the covenants God wants to offer. But unless you enter into that covenant, nothing happens. Unless you join yourself to God, none of the benefits will happen. Jeremiah was a prophet who was charged by God to declare certain and specific promises to the people of God. These people were facing a huge challenge to their faith. God had promised David that his line would forever reign over the people of God. But because of the fierce strength of the Babylonian army, it looked like that promise would never be fulfilled. And even though the people of God eventually returned to the land, there was never enough, there was never another kingdom set up for more than five centuries. And even then, it wasn't the kingdom that they were expecting. By the time of Jesus' birth, the people of God anxiously waited for the Messiah to come and to deliver them from the political oppression of the Romans. They were still hoping for the promise of God to be fulfilled. And then out of the blue, without any warning, the angel Gabriel appears to Mary and Joseph and outlines God's plan to fulfill the covenant of salt with David, that Jesus would be the fulfillment, that Jesus would become the king, that Jesus would become the high priest of people of God, and that Jesus' reign would be forever. Nothing is impossible with God. Our timing is definitely not God's timing, but God always fulfills God's promises to God's people. And you can place your hope in that. I'd like you to join with me now in closing as we sing that song that I taught the kids this morning. Lord God, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power. Ah, Lord God, Thou hast made the heavens and the earth by Thine outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for Thee. Nothing is too difficult for Thee. Great and mighty God, great in counsel and mighty indeed. Nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing, nothing is too difficult for Thee. Ah, Lord God, Thou hast made the heavens and the earth by Thy great power. Ah, Lord God, Thou hast made the heavens and the earth by Thine outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for Thee. Nothing is too difficult for Thee. Great and mighty God, 
great in counsel and mighty indeed. Nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing, nothing is too difficult for thee. Now, let me ask the question as we close. Do you believe that? Do you believe that there is absolutely nothing that's too difficult for God? Then my question is this. What are you hoping in? Where does your hope lie? And it's easy to say, my hope is in Jesus and I'll go to be in heaven someday with God. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about right now. What do you need from God now? What are you waiting on from God right now? Has God made any promises to you about that? And obviously, I don't know those answers. Only you do. Does the timeline not seem to work with what you perceive the need to be? Are things falling apart as you keep waiting and hoping for the God to act and do and... And what is your next step in all of this? Because God, uh, you said, I've been trusting that for all of this time and it don't look like it's happening right now. So do you just scrap it all and move on? Or do you continue to hope and trust and wait? The people of God literally had to wait five hundred years. And guess what? Less than 30 years later, or just around 30 years later, that hope was crushed again and he was killed and buried. Now, God raised him to life and ascended him into heaven where he sits on the right hand of the Father. But from the world's perspective, the Jews still are waiting for their hope. It's been over 2,000 years. So now we're talking 2,500 years since Zedekiah did the last kingly thing. But can you trust God, regardless of how long it takes, regardless of how hopeless it looks? Can you trust God? If he's spoken something over you, can you trust him? Do you trust him? If you don't, how do you get back to where you truly do? Because that's where the rubber meets the road. Mm -hmm. It's all well and good to say, I'm a Christian and I love Jesus and someday I'm going to go live with him. But in the day-to-day, where is your hope? Let's pray. God, in this season, as we are focusing on the coming of Christ as our Messiah, help us to communicate effectively to the world. Not just platitudes, not just theological words that are just mumbo-jumbo to them, but Father, help us to really show the world that we are people of you and people of the book, that we live out what we say we believe. And Father, where it gets hard, help us to recognize that thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy strong, powerful arm and nothing is too difficult for you. Help us to continue to trust you, 
to keep our hope firmly planted in your promises, in the covenants you've made with us. Help us not to be in any way distracted, dissuaded, discouraged. And Father God, we will give you praise and honor and glory through all of it. In Jesus' name, amen.